Welcome to a special edition of Exhale. The next several episodes will be Ask the Respiratory Therapist. This is a special series where we will interview multiple therapists, PFT technicians, and nurses in different healthcare situations during COVID this past year. We want them to share their experiences with you, what they've endured during this pandemic, and what they expect since it's not going away anytime soon. Your host is Mark Russell, Marketing Communications Manager for Vitalgraph US, a global leader in respiratory diagnostics. Today, we're interviewing Holly Wilson, a registered pulmonary function technologist. And joining us is fellow RT and Vitalograph National Sales Manager, Jansen Lanier. Welcome, Holly. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure being here. Now, I understand that this is not your first podcast. <laughs> That's correct. I've, I've only done other one other podcast. <laughs> and, and, and can you give us a little insight? We're just doing a little chit chat here, you know? Oh, yeah, sure. It was just recently, actually, back in June, I was at a yoga conference in Scottsdale. Uh, I am a yoga instructor. That's kind of my side hustle, I guess you could say. And uh, I was asked to take part in a podcast there happening at the conference. So that was an exciting and very fun thing for me to do. Wonderful. I tell you, this is a new series for Vitalograph, and we're having all kinds of firsts here. Uh, we haven't had anybody that is such a veteran like yourself. <laughs> well, you're very, you're very kind. <laughs> Why don't you please give us a little background on yourself, education experience, and your current responsibilities? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I'll try to keep it brief, but it, it's quite a story. I, you know, just like you said, I am a registered pulmonary function technologist. I did take my entry exam uh, as a certified pulmonary function technologist back in 1992, uh, which was quite some time ago. So I've been doing pulmonary functions now for about 30 years. Just to give you a little background as far as education, it's quite a serendipitous journey here for me. I actually started working in respiratory therapy uh, unit uh, when I was 16 years old. I had just had my 16th birthday and the community I lived in uh, had just built a brand new hospital and they were looking for an equipment tech, which would be a person that would sterilize the equipment, pasteurize the equipment, dry it, and then distribute it through the hospital for the uh, respiratory therapy department. And it was a weekend thing. So my sister, who's, who was much older, 13 years older, she was already a respiratory therapist. And see, she suggested that I apply for this job, which seemed like a much better job than what I had at, at a fast food place. So I applied and became the weekend equipment tech. And then things just kind of went from there. I would have to say that pulmonary functions found, kind of found me. Um, it wasn't my plan to be a pulmonary function technologist, but as I worked at the hospital for several years, I was given more responsibilities uh, all the time. And, and finally, after a few years, I'd already started college to become a nurse. And the director of the pulmonary lab, which was also affiliated with the respiratory therapy department, asked me if I would like to learn how to do pulmonary functions. And I said, yeah, sure. You know, I never turned down an opportunity to learn new things and to have new opportunities. So um, I learned how to do pulmonary functions. 
And back in the day, this was in the 80s. So you could become what they call grandfathered in. So as long as I did pulmonary functions and learned about them for about two years, I could sit for my exams. So that was the perfect circumstance for me because I was living on my own and didn't have any parental support. And I was working about three jobs and going to university. So that's how I found pulmonary functions and got started in the field. And uh, it is a unique story. And then it just blossomed from there. I've had many opportunities to work uh, with uh, Sandra Anderson at the Royal Prince Alfred Hospital in Sydney uh, in the 90s and early 2000s, and also uh, ultimately went to work for Greg Ruppel, the author of the Manual of Pulmonary Function Testing uh, as well. So, you know, it just turned into a great, great opportunity and very good career. That's incredible. That is incredible. How long were you down in, you said, in Australia? Uh, Yeah, yes. I was at the Royal Prince Alfred in Sydney for about two years. Oh, two years. Wow. That's incredible. And so what is your current responsibilities right now? Well, currently, I've I've completely switched things up. Last year, I was given an opportunity uh, to come work for Vitalograph as a pulmonary function technologist, which was something completely different than working in the hospitals at the bedside in the clinical setting. And so I was very interested and started that last year. And now I, um, my main role is to overread the data quality of pulmonary function data that comes across from the clinical trials. I train the sites and the monitors. I develop the training materials as well, basically providing some specialist knowledge on the calls with the sponsors. And, and then another fun thing I get to do is we have these internal trainings, the uh, PFT workshops for new employees at Vitalograph to teach them about pulmonary functions. So I get to do those trainings as well. Interesting. Interesting. And prior to that, you were still at the hospital setting when the start of COVID? Yes. Yes. I was the supervisor of a pulmonary function lab at the time of COVID as it began and then up until late last year. Well, can you share some experiences? What has everybody experienced during this time of COVID? Sure, Um, I'm happy to share my experience. And as we move through my story, don't hesitate to stop me and ask me questions along the way. I believe it was last March, 2020, things really started to get serious here in the Midwest uh, with COVID. And I believe that I remember distinctly my medical director and the director of internal medicine calling me in for a meeting. And I was told that we were going to need to shut down the pulmonary function laboratory. And I remember thinking, you know, I knew it was serious, but I think that's when it really started to sink in. So trying to figure out what that meant to shut down our PFT lab and all of the circumstances and and all of the uh, challenges that were going to come after that. So we went through a period where we we shut down the PFT lab and only remained open for the most serious cases, those that needed to be seen for PFTs, transplant patients, and that sort of thing. So it went from a normal workday 
we had a, a fairly large lab, uh, several staff involved uh, to really not having any patience at all. And of course, as the seriousness of the situation grew, the staff were drawn out to do other duties, screening patients and guests at various entrances. And so we all kind of took our positions elsewhere in the hospital if we weren't used in the PFT lab for patient care. When it first started, were you confused or what, what were you feeling like when they first started saying, hey, we need to shut down this lab and we need to redirect a lot of the personnel? Uh, did you feel it was serious? What was your feelings? Yes, good question. Yeah, I don't think I really understood the enormity of the problem because I remember my medical director saying, you know, we're going to need to shut down for several months. And I thought, what? You know, like I thought it'd be for a couple of weeks. <laughs> so sure. I had no idea that it was going to really be that big of an impact. It's like the full magnitude of it wasn't realized until the shutdown came and then you saw across the board other labs that were shutting down because of the severity. I've seen the exact same situation happen across the country where, you know, if you're an RT working in the pulmonary function lab, you're being pulled over to go to work in the, the ICUs or you're going to work in the ERs and so forth. You find other roles for that person that they're best suited for. Mm -hmm. You know, and as RTs, we're kind of pulled into different areas to help. So, yes, yes, that's right. And I think our pulmonary function lab was a little unique in that we were not affiliated with the respiratory therapy department. So, that I did not dir uh, directly report to the respiratory therapy department. So, that's why most of the staff were not called back to the ICUs there okay. where I worked. Yeah. So, it was just a little bit different experience. But yes, they were definitely called upon in different ways to help out Absolutely. in other areas, yeah. Well, and it's also for the staff, you know, you don't want to shut down the lab and, and all of a sudden tell these folks to, to go home and, and not make any income. If you can find them a, a different position during that time, that's what most places were doing. Unfortunately, there, there's other departments like sleep labs and so forth that they got sent home and they just sat in, until they could get some work. Yes, you bring up a good point, and that's exactly, unfortunately, what, what happened to our lab. They started to send them to other work areas, and then eventually they furloughed. 50% of my staff were furloughed, uh, some until July. So if this started in April, you could imagine the impact that that had on, on that staff. Um, of course. And then, unfortunately, at the time, also, when they furloughed, the staff, that's when things really started to get busy because then we had this huge backlog. We needed to accommodate the patients, but didn't really know how to do that. <laughs> yeah. And that's the other thing is that there was no defined direction on where we should be doing or how should we be doing this? Because even, even this week, I had a facility that I visited and they're doing testing outside in the elements, and which is fine. You know, you're able to keep the airflow around and so forth. And it's especially for facilities that aren't well ventilated. When you're talking about a hospital setting, you're going to be a little bit more ventilated. But if you're an allergy, asthma, or a private practice, your facility may be just a small room and you just don't want to put that risk to the patient because clearly the patients are in here for a reason. They're susceptible to a respiratory illness. And the last thing they need to do is contract COVID. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have quite a bit of training 
did all these years of training in different situations and such, did it prepare you for this? Did some of your training just kick in and, you know, just, you know, hit the ground running? Or what was some of the things that you needed to uh, learn in this change or transition? Yeah, that's a good question. I would say that, you know, we had a, an annual mandatory called emergency preparedness that we had to take and pass um, every year. And I, I think that that was a good mandatory in some ways that, that you did learn about the changes as far as, the, you know, there was a task force and how, how they were going to send staff out to other posts during emergencies. But I don't think anything really prepared me from, you know, looking back on my career for 2020. There was a lot of unknowing, uh, not knowing what to do. But however, the years of knowing that I needed to take care of the patient and the patient always came first and my staff always came first as well as far as safety. So my main, my two main concerns, that's all I really cared about is taking care of my staff, keeping my staff safe and taking care of our patients and keeping our patients safe as well. So from that aspect, things really kicked in and I, I just went to work. I mean, I was when they furloughed 50% of my staff, they said, well, Holly, you know, you're going to go back into patient care full time. Now, I had been in an office doing, you know, more supervisory roles for about seven years. I mean, I'd always helped out in, in the lab uh, when I needed to and kept up my skills, but I hadn't been in full time patient care for seven years. So, you know, I was a little stressed to get back in, you know, can I still do it? Can I keep up everything? Um, uh, but yeah, things just kick, kick in. It's like riding a bicycle and you just you just figure it out and, and get it done. Did you work quite a bit of overtime, uh, uh, weekends and such? Did they have enough staff to schedule everything? Uh, well, we did expand our hours just because, you know, there was more work to do. And of course, you know, let me talk a little bit about you know, we used to schedule an hour for a complete pulmonary function test with bronchodilator. And then, you know, all of a sudden we we can't do that anymore. It became maybe 90 minutes or maybe even two hours because we did allow, you know, need to allow the, the rooms to air out and a complete cleaning yep. of the room. And so when the time limit expanded, the volume of patients dropped. Um, so we had to figure out how we were going to still accommodate a large workload and then, you know, over a longer period of time with fewer staff. And that was a challenge. So the day did start early, sometimes as early as 6 or 6.30 in the morning, and then sometimes go for about 12 hours, depending. It wasn't every day, but there were many days like that. Wow. Wow. And how did the staff hold up? Was it a situation where... Was there a lot of burnout? I was amazed by my staff. No one complained. Everyone pitched in. People would come in early. People would stay late. The PPE, you know, I think I want to talk a little bit about um, the comfort of the staff uh, during COVID because, you know, we used to come to work either in a, a nice, you know, nicer street clothes or maybe our nice scrubs with a lab coat. And but with COVID, that all changed. So, of course, we were wearing in, in the beginning those plastic impervious gowns and 
face shields and, you know, N95 masks. And anyone who knows anything about PFTs or has ever performed a PFT, it's actually a quite physical test. I mean, you have to get really animated um, and coach the patient. So when you're draped in plastic and you can't breathe through an N95, uh, it can be quite challenging. But you know what? Everyone stepped up and didn't complain and did their part. That's it was great. it was pretty amazing. That's great. I, lo- I love I love to hear that because we do hear of instances where the burnout comes in place, and, and a lot of time um, it's because that the hospitals have pulled that RT over into somewhere else, and they're still having to maintain some of these PFT shifts. I'm glad to see that you guys were doing the 90 minute you know windows slash maybe even 120 minutes depending on the room because I there were some places that didn't shut down that didn't stop their caseload. It got a little concerning on those facilities, but they've got to stay in business too. I get that, but patient care comes first, I think. Yes, and there there was so much. I don't think people really knew what to do. And I, I know that the CDC came out with, with a guideline fairly early on, and it was it was a good guideline, but unfortunately, pulmonary function testing was not mentioned in that guideline as an aerosolized procedure. So you know, they they touched on, of course, nebulizers and sputum induction as being aerosolized procedures, but no one talked about what was going on in the PFT labs. And I think that from my experience anyway, this is just my experience, but the PFT lab is generally a small department. We're kind of loud. So sometimes we get put in (laughs) the basement, you know, we get kind of, you know, put back somewhere. Yeah, quite animated. <laughs> and so people, people in administration or in other departments may not really understand what we do. They may not know. So um, I had to, you know, raise some concerns and about what was really happening in the PFT lab, and that I, you know, it is an aerosolized procedure, and my staff do need N95 masks. And right. I invited the infection control team team down to to see what we were doing. And I think when I did that, then they fully understood what they needed to put in place and, and they became a very good support for us. Good. So kind of going in that infectious control route, BVF filters, I know that majority of the PFT systems, the, the larger uh, PFT systems use the filters, uh, but some of the handheld barometers weren't using any filter and they were still continuing to go forth and, and do studies. So tell me your thoughts on BVF filters and, and kind of what your feelings there are. Well, I've used BVFs for years and years. Um, of course, I remember a time when even equipment wasn't even, most equipment wasn't disposable that, you know, like I said, it got Rarely, pasteurized yeah. or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. But if your lab wasn't using filters before, you certainly need to be using them now. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Can you share any experiences personally with patients? Did you have a certain one that comes in mind that, you know, that you had some interaction with? During COVID. I don't remember, you know, a lot of specific patients uh, and what happened, but I will say this. I do remember a young lady and, and she was a young lady that came for a pulmonary function test. This was probably July, uh, maybe August, and she had already lost nine members of her family, had perished due to COVID in that short time. And I think that just, that really affected me a lot, knowing that she had already lost nine members of her own family, including grandparents. And 
at least one parent. That was a very sad, sad thing to know. In your current role, how has COVID-19 impacted your responsibilities now and your everyday duties that you would have done differently if there wasn't any COVID? Well, I would say from my personal life first, where I work from home now, uh, it's completely different lifestyle now that I have than I had uh, getting up and going to the hospital. So I'm very grateful every day to be in this in this new situation. Uh, the things that I'm seeing in my work, the way COVID is affecting our day-to-day tasks would be, you know, our sites are still, you know, they still have these challenges. They still have a large backlog of patients they're trying to see. They still need to let their rooms air out. And so from a clinical perspective, they may not be able to take on as many studies or see as many subjects as they did before. That's just what I'm seeing. And and plus, you know, some PFT labs are still going into, into a lockdown situation too in some areas of the world. Yep. Even here in the States, you know, the West Coast is still slowly opening up. Um, You know, just this week we're in Denver and about half of the facilities are somewhat open, not at full capacity. So, Holly, what are your concerns for the future with this new COVID-19 variant that has come out? And who knows what else is going to change into something even more deadlier? What's your concerns of the future? My concerns would be that there's still a lot of people that are not fully aware of the impact and that I feel like people may not be taking the measures they need to be taking. This isn't going to go away. And this is going to continue to evolve and change. And people need to learn how to change. I think that a lot of people did embrace change. It was hard last year. It was a very, very difficult time for almost everyone. But I think if we learned a lesson, and I look for a lesson in everything that I do, I hope that people would learn a lesson from 2020 to be diligent about their hand washing and their social distancing and not to let their guard down and to take what we've learned from 2020 and just keep implementing it and making it better and always trying to be a step ahead. I think it's important for us to, you know, I think we we never thought something like this would happen, even though I was trained on it every year in my mandatories, you know, I thought that this pandemic would never happen and it did. So I think we always need to be thinking a step ahead and coming out with new ways to do things in in case things get worse or continue to evolve. Yeah, you're exactly right. Do you have anything to add with that, Jansen? Yeah, you know, you're exactly right. Prepare for the worst and be grateful for what you get. You know, it's one of those uh, everywhere that I've been, we do the emergency disaster preparations and so forth, and you don't really expect it to happen until it happens. Then you get the high-level people that really drive on, on these pressure situations and kind of help move either the facility or CDC, uh, NIOSH, NIH, whatever it may be, and they kind of help direct. Me personally, I'd love to see all of these groups come together and have a unified front. 
because I see times that there's uh, one group is here, one group is there, one group is there, and they're all having different messages. And I think that that could be one of the negatives of why people are afraid to, to accept what's going on, to, to vaccinate. But I really feel like uh, we need to really prepare ourselves for a potential 2020 over again, uh, unless we do, like what you said, a change. We have to change mentality. We have to change how we do life. Yep, that's exactly right. Things are not going to be like it was uh, over the last two years. We're going to have to look at things differently. Is there anything else that you want to, to add to this? I'm very grateful for the experience, to share my experience with you all. And thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. Absolutely. And we're, we are very grateful that you've joined the Vitalograph family and you bring the knowledge that you have and you're helping you know, not only our, our sponsors out in the field for clinical trials, but also our internal clinical trials team. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks very much. Holly, we really appreciate you taking time and joining our podcast. Thanks again, Holly. You've been listening to Exhale with Vitagraph. Your host is Mark Russell. We hope you've enjoyed what you've heard today. Please leave a review and subscribe for new episodes. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to you joining us again on Exhale with Vitalograph.